I told my cousin, no more. I'm not going to have any more cupcakes thrown at me. I'm sorry. I work way too hard at the bank to come here, roll up my sleeves, and then get thrown cupcakes on my suit. Welcome to Rock the Boat. We're your hosts, Lucia Liu and Lin Guay. Together, we have candid conversations with Asian Americans who are challenging the status quo. We uncover stories about their upbringing, their relationship with family, Asian identity, and their work. In the past, we've interviewed Andrew Yang, Michelle Phan, and the Fung Bros. This season, we're featuring Asian Americans who have overcome challenges against all odds. Join us for our boldest season yet. This episode of Rock the Boat is brought to you by our seasonal sponsor, Numa Foods. Numa Foods makes good for you, chewy milk-based candies. The recipe is inspired by Asian nougat candies and it boasts 40% less sugar, four grams of protein, and a whole host of vitamins. The milk chews come in three different flavors, original, chocolate, and strawberry. My personal favorite is the original. It resembles white rabbit candy with peanuts and fruit. I recently spoke with Joyce over the phone. Joyce is the founder of the company. And she told me that the idea for Numa Foods came about when she was craving something sweet, but healthier. Because she was sensitive to sugary snacks, her mother started hand-making these milky, chewy, sweet treats, and Numa Foods was born. Joyce and her mother launched the company in 2018 on Kickstarter. They received almost 600 backers, and they were featured in projects we love on Kickstarter. You can check out Numa Foods on their website. That's N-U-M-A-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Numa Foods is offering Rock the Boat listeners a free bag of milk chews. Just pay for shipping. Use code ROCKTHEBOAT, that's one word, ROCKTHEBOAT, to redeem. Now, back to the show. How are you feeling? Good. Okay. Don't be nervous. <laughs> if you've been to St. Mark's in New York City, you might have seen a crowded little space, half a floor below ground, that sells yummy Asian fusion dessert concoctions. The place is always abuzz with college students and tourists, you name it. I first discovered Spot Dessert Bar almost a decade ago when I moved to the city. It was one of the few places that reminded me of dessert shops from Shanghai. They have their signature matcha lava cake, which is a warm, dark chocolate cake filled with matcha ganache. And they also have their berry cheesecake served in a terracotta pot layered with Oreo cookie crumbs. So the dessert looks like a small plotted plant. It's amazing. My personal favorites are the cookies and the macaroons, which have flavors like caramel miso and taro. Spot quickly became one of my go-to hangout spots. I felt like it was the spot to go so to speak. So much so that I even had one of my first dates with my now husband there. But Spot wasn't always such a popular dessert destination. In fact, the owners originally intended it to be a karaoke bar. So how did Spot become the spot that we all know and love today? Well, this week, we interview the co-founder of Spot Dessert Bar, Ace Watanasu Parp. Ace is fiercely familiar with the ups and downs, successes and failures that come with starting a business. What sets Ace apart is his grit and perseverance, which helped him stick through plenty of tough times. Growing up, Ace's ultimate dream was to play in the NBA. So how did Ace go from being a star basketball player in college to wearing a suit in the basement of St. Mark's on the receiving end of flying cupcakes? Let's dive into Ace's story. 
My name is Ace Watana Suparp. I'm actually the Vice President for Citizens Bank. And I also am a, I guess, what you call an entrepreneur these days. Ace grew up in Queens, New York to immigrant parents who each worked three jobs. He always attributes his grit to his parents. He attended high school at Bronx Science and went to undergraduate at the University of Connecticut. Ace was athletic growing up, so he played a lot of sports, but he was especially interested in basketball. You know, I used to play in the rain, in the snow. I would wear gloves. Everywhere I went, I would be dribbling a basketball. If, you know, we had a family trip, I would forget all of my bags, but the one thing that I would bring is, a, is, is like a rubber basketball. I would literally sneak out of the house to go play basketball. So that was yeah. like my life growing up. Ace didn't give up his basketball dreams, even while he was in college. I went to UConn and I wanted to play basketball there. And I had a um, academic scholarship there as well. Was you it know, for basketball? It's for business. Wow. <laughs> Nothing to do with basketball. At the time, UConn was a powerhouse. Uh, my freshman year, they actually won the national championship. So if I, if I ever told anyone that my plan was to walk on or try out for the UConn team, they'd probably laugh in my face, right? But, um, you know, I had an opportunity. I was playing at the field house. A couple of the guys that I played basketball with said, Ace, you know, you should definitely go and try out. You know, we think you have a pretty good shot. So there was a faculty member, his name was Nigel, I still remember his name. Well, we're good friends now. And I asked him, I heard there was walk-on tryouts for students that just wanted to try out for the men's basketball team. He said, sure, sure, Ace, you know. And he said, you know, tryouts are at the Armory building. It's right across from where, where I was staying on campus. So the very next week on Saturday, the tryouts are on Saturday mornings. I went to the Armory building, excited, pumped up, you know, stretching and put on all my gear, and I'm there early, right? So tryouts, it's, it's at 9 a.m. I get there at like 7 a.m. And I go there and nobody's there. It's like empty. And this is Saturday morning. Everyone's sleeping on campus. So I'm walking around, I'm pacing, I'm nervous. I'm like, where are the tryouts? I finally see someone walking around and I ask her, and she tells me that the tryouts are at Gampo Pavilion. So now it's like a whole trek across campus and I finally get there, and it's like 9.05. And tryouts already started, the doors are closed. And I was so bummed, you know, I, I went back to the dorm room and I'm like, oh, I guess it's not meant to be. But then I started thinking inside, I'm like, why did Nigel tell me it was at the armory building? You know, maybe it was a mistake. So I just kept it in, kept it in. The following day, I go to the field house, which is where I usually play it, and I ask Nigel, Nigel, why did you tell me that tryouts were at the armory building. It was at Gampo Pavilion where they actually play the games. Then he's like, Ace, are you kidding me? You know, did you really think that you were gonna make it to the team? One of the things that he said to me really, really hit home and he was like, Ace, you're good, but look at you, right? You're Asian, you're not that tall, obviously. You know, did you really think that you were gonna have a chance at making it on the team? That comment hit Ace really hard. It's not just because he was being stereotyped and overlooked, but it was also because basketball was what kept him and his mind off of his family troubles. So that was my freshman year. At the time, my parents were in the middle of getting a separation, divorce. I had two paths, right? I could have really just gave up on life. And at that time, I was at a downward spiral. You know, I didn't really go to class for maybe a good month or so. I really had nowhere to really turn. So I looked at basketball as my, um, I guess, 
as my savior. It was my safe place. So I really put all of my effort into proving him wrong, trying to maybe get on the team to possibly make my parents, you know, not fight anymore and be proud of their son. I kind of, I needed to channel all of the negativity around me that was going on out. And I really decided to just look ace, you know, no regrets. I'm gonna try to step up and, and really just focus on myself, focus on basketball, the game that I loved. And I decided to stay on campus that summer and I practiced with the team. Ace poured his heart and soul into basketball, and he tried out his sophomore year. He made it to the final cut, but the coaches felt like he needed to bulk up, so he was again cut from the team. Still, Ace felt like it was too soon to give up. It was one of those defining moments where I'm this close, am I going to give up or am I going to try again? Right, and you know, the, the answer to that was, let's try again. Let's go through this whole process for another year, one more time. For some reason, I just channeled all my energy towards not regretting. I already regretted not being there for my parents, and I didn't want to know that I tried that hard to make it to the last cut, and then I just gave up. Ace trained hard for another year, and in his junior year, he finally made the team. Uh, we, I tried out, I made it onto the team, and um, it was like euphoric. I ran out of the gym, <laughs> all of my friends are outside, they're cheering. Ace made history as the first Asian-American walk-on for UConn, ever. And he started becoming a really popular player at UConn for exactly the things Nigel told him he wasn't suited for. For example, he was Asian, he was short for a basketball player, and he was different. They saw me on ESPN, so they're like, what's that? You know, who's that little Asian boy, right? Or Asian kid on the bench. I became that token uh, player that every single stadium that we started going into, people would already know, right? Yeah. So they looked me Did up. Did you get signs? I had signs everywhere. I think I saw pictures, you know? Like, yeah. students uh, would paint their, their bodies, like, you know, with my name on it. It was insane. It was unbelievable. That's but, a really long name. Yeah, well, they would only do my first name, right? Okay. So it's like ACE, but, uh, but it was still an amazing experience. Ace became an emblem of hope to the Asian American community. They saw themselves in him and rushed to support his games. Just the fans, the um, community, and sort of like the support mm-hmm. in regards to having someone be different and not really fit that mold. Yeah. There was so much support and so much love. You, I mean, you broke so many barriers. Did you feel like you had to uphold yourself in a certain way? You had a platform yeah. and people were, were paying attention to you. You know, it's funny and that's one of the biggest regrets that I have, which is back then I didn't really live in the moment, meaning I didn't really embrace the platform that I had. I still remember um, we were playing at Ma- in Madison Square Garden for the Big East and a gentleman, and I don't even know his name till today, gentleman came up to me while we were doing warm-ups, and he was from LA, and he flew in from LA because he wanted to write a story about me, and possibly a short film. But I was so shy with my upbringing that I just thought, oh, I don't want to have something really, like all that attention on me back then. But I regret it even until today because that could have been inspiration for other folks. And, you know, it's interesting that you tell me, you know, having that platform, did you feel that pressure with all the eyes on you and things of that nature? And there was no pressure at the time. 
but I realized looking back at it, I could have did more. I could have inspired more. I could have done more yeah. uh, for the community. And yeah. that's why today I do, I try to do a lot and I try to give back and I try to um, give as much uh, mentorship to yeah. younger folks um, in my position all yeah. the time. But we have Jeremy Lin now, so it's all good. <laughs> and he's won a championship, <laughs> and right? And he's won a championship, so we're good. We're good in that category. So. At this point, basketball was Ace's life. But by his senior year, the wear and tear from his passion took a toll on his body, and he needed to get surgery on his left leg for a crack in his shins. This turned out to be a pretty serious injury, and eventually it took him out of the game for good. It was so disappointing. I mean, this is after my season. Okay. And then I was actually invited to play for the uh, national team for Taiwan and uh, Thailand as well. Yeah. And that was a um, dream crusher for me because that meant the end of basketball. So I didn't really handle it that well, but you know, I knew that life had to, to go on. While playing for UConn, Ace kept his grades up. So remember, he had an academic scholarship to study finance. So after he graduated, he was unable to play basketball anymore. So he got a job in Connecticut in financial services. Ace didn't like his first job, so he moved over to Citigroup in the mortgage division. There, Ace excelled. He became the number three producer in the country. And it was all at the tender age of 26. But Ace wanted more opportunities. He didn't just want to be the top salesperson and produce for the company. He wanted to manage people. He wanted a leadership role. But due to his age, he was overlooked. Too young, I lacked experience, and I just, in their eyes, I just didn't have the experience, the knowledge to manage folks. So Ace started looking for opportunities outside of City Mortgage. He was eventually recruited by Countrywide, which was then acquired by Bank of America. He joined the team on one condition. He wanted to be a manager there. And they agreed, but not without their own conditions. If you really want to be a manager, we'll give you the title. You're not going to manage anyone. You build your own team. Okay. And that was it for me. That was my big break, I thought. So I run home. I tell my mom. I tell my dad. My mom was going to slap me, right? So she's like, are you crazy? What do you mean a manager? They're not giving you anyone. And you're just walking away from all this money at, at Citibank. You go into a new company. You have no one to manage. But for me, it was more than that. It was more than the income that I was making at the time. It was the title and it was the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Ace went into his new management role with a strategy. He was based in Queens, which is one of the most diverse neighborhoods in America. So he hired a team to reflect that diversity. He hired different people from different backgrounds who were already part of their respective communities. Those people became the spokesperson for their own communities. And because those communities already believed in that person, they were more likely to do business with that person. And this strategy ultimately paid off. Ace's office went from last place to first place in the city. People tend to ask me, Ace, how did you land that job? And how did you establish yourself at that job? And I think, you know, your earlier years in your career, you need to take chances. I also needed to make the decision to move yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. To, to really stay within my industry, not give up. Right? Because a lot of people, especially today, oh, yeah. a lot of millennials out there, they're like, you know what? I'm not passionate and I just don't like what I'm doing now and I move to, to the next thing. That was really the, uh, the beginning of my career and 
that really catapulted me to, to be in the position in management. Ace's career in the mortgage business was skyrocketing. So why did he start Spot Dessert Bar? This is a week before Thanksgiving and I get a call from upper management. And they tell me, Ace, you know, unfortunately, we're going to have to make some cuts here at the bank. More to come after the break. It's that time of day. You're craving something sweet and slightly indulgent. It's only natural. But you want something that's delicious, nutritious, not too filling, and quick. Yeah, that was me too. So my mom did something about it. Introducing the Milk Chew, a not-too-sweet, chewy milk treat with benefits. Inspired by a traditional Asian treat my mom grew up eating, but 100% natural, with less sugar and more vitamins. Just as my mom did in her kitchen, we make them with six simple, fresh and functional ingredients, nothing artificial, and no preservatives. The result is a chewy delight that tastes like candy, but performs like a bar. That means compared to one of the leading granola bars in America, we have more protein, more vitamins, and less calories and fat. Meanwhile, we have just enough sugar, the same as that granola bar, by the way, and far less than that standard candy bar to satisfy that sweet tooth. That was from the Kickstarter campaign Joyce and her mother Jane ran for Numa Foods. I got on the phone with them and had a really wonderful chat. They told me their entire story on how they started Numa Foods. Turns out Jane, who is Joyce's mother, is also Shanghainese. And so we actually ended up chatting a bit in Shanghainese. I'm not going to air that bit, but here's Jane, the mother of the duo, talking about how they decided to start a candy company together. She went to a very nice university and she got a very nice job in the Wall Street. And I was very happy at that time. But after one year, she came back to me and said she does not like job. She wants to change it. At that time, I was like not really happy honest with you, because this is like against my Asian parents' dream, you know, but she said she wants to work for the startup company, but I think a startup company is more difficult to find a good one. I just tell her, if you want to start a company, why you don't start your own business? You learn from your own experience. And this is how Joyce reacted. I said, are you going to help me? Because I can't start a business by myself. And she jumped up. She didn't even think about it. She jumped. She's like, yeah, let's do it. So there you have it. A mother-daughter duo who are ready to take on the world one nougat candy at a time. You can get your free pack of Numa Foods candy when you visit numafoods.com. That's N-U-M-A-F-O-O-D-S.com. And use the code ROCKTHEBOAT, that's all one word, for your free candy. Just pay for shipping. Now, back to the show. So at this point, Ace had spent seven years in the mortgage industry. He was being groomed by one of the more senior bank managers when suddenly he received a call from senior management. Volume is is slowing down and we're going to let go of so-and-so, the manager that's been mentoring me, and you're going to be taking his place. And although I should have been grateful and happy, I was very concerned. It's like, but it's Thanksgiving next week. He just told me that he's going to do all this for his family. He's telling me how he's buying a turkey for the family and he's having everyone come over to his place for a huge family gathering. Like, why would you guys have to do it the day before Thanksgiving? Well, that's when we're going to do the riffs and we're not asking you, we're telling you. And that was when I realized that he gave 25, 30 years of his whole life towards 
this financial institution and I totally understand, you know, as we go through budgets, P&Ls, things of that nature, there, there needs to be cuts that, that needs to be made. But the way they did it and the way that he was let go, I just didn't agree with. And it's the unfortunate side of business when you don't own something yourself. So that day happened. Um, I was totally upset. And my cousin, ironically at the time, was having a falling out with his partners. So he already had three restaurants himself. We had a family gathering, uh-huh. and it was Thanksgiving. So we, the yeah. next week, we talk, and he's like, Ace, why are you in the corner? Like, you're not happy. I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I'm supposed to be happy or sad. Like, I just got this new position as a manager. But this happened, you know, right before Thanksgiving. Ace's cousin worked in hospitality, and he had asked Ace multiple times to start a restaurant together. Each time, Ace would pass on the opportunity due to his career in finance. However, the Thanksgiving incident really shook Ace, and he realized he needed to own his own destiny. So this time, when his cousin asked about starting something, Ace said yes. So, we decided to open a karaoke. But that never happened, (laughs) and it became Spot Dessert Bar, because he already had a restaurant on St. Mark's Place. And what year was this? 2009. Oh, this was like right after the recession. So what happened was, because of the recession, that's why we took the space, rent was at an all-time high before the recession. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But because of the recession, landlords were giving spaces away because businesses were failing. But luckily, you know, I was able to save a lot of money from previous years. But on the restaurant side, the reason why we jumped in full force was because we were getting amazing, amazing deals on the rent and on the on the retail space. That's why we jumped in with the space first mm-hmm, and the concept mm-hmm. later. And then we started thinking, okay, if it's not karaoke, what should it be? And we're like, you know what? There's a ton of restaurants here and not a lot of dessert shops. So we already have the audience. We just have to create a dessert. So we opened up Spot Dessert Bar. We had a name. The name was amazing, right? So well, how thought, did you guys decide on Spot? We're like, we want it to be The Spot. So we're like, you know, what's The Spot? The Spot, right? So we're like, Spot Dessert Bar. You know, let's meet up at The Spot. Anyway, so we opened up the restaurant. But as you know, neither myself or my cousin is a chef. That initially created problems since they hired an Asian chef who wasn't familiar with American palates. So Spot started off as an Asian dessert concept. And then I realized from doing the tastings that it was a total failure. (laughs) And then we realized that we need to shift gears and really encompass what myself and my cousin is all about. I'm, I'm a U.S. citizen. I grew up in the States. I'm American. I have an American background and I have an American palate. So my cousin is from Thailand and he's got an Eastern palate. So what if we combined American desserts, American traditional classics with Asian influence? So now we have all these infusions, American desserts, but also Asian ingredients. And that's when we started to develop the concept. Because rent was so cheap, Ace and his cousin decided to open Spot Dessert Bar and Obao, which is another restaurant concept they came up with that sold Vietnamese and Thai noodles on the same day. Obviously, neither of them were a huge success out of the gate. We struggled the first six months. It really goes to show you that if you don't have a solid strategic business plan going in, you know, you're, you're bound for failure. All the money that my, myself and my cousin saved up went 
all into the restaurant, not only to, to build the place, but we were redlining the next year and a half, meaning we lost pretty much about a thousand a day, Ooh. paying rent, paying labor. For a spot alone, we're in the basement. Yeah. So people would just walk past it. I'd be working at the bank, would go there and visit the restaurants at 9 p.m. Literally just shoot right over. And we weren't selling any of our cupcakes. And we are like, look, instead of putting into our wastage um, log, let's just sell it at 50%. So there was this one night, I still remember vividly, and it's one of those, one of those times that really makes you appreciate everything that you have today. So it was Thursday night, we weren't selling, we had a whole batch left, we had maybe 30 cupcakes. And I don't know if you've ever been to St. Mark's Place, there's a lot of drunk kids there. A lot of universities, right? NYU, Cooper Union. So we have this concept, we're selling 50% cupcakes it's already two dollars and 25 cents now you're slashing down to like a dollar a group of drunk kids come by and i still remember it's me and rex rex was the manager at the time and we were like oh you know these cupcakes are 50 percent off you know buy them now we make fresh baked goods every single day we want to get rid of them so these drunk kids were you know they were they were drunk having a good time but they were they said okay we'll buy all of them we were so excited right so we're like okay great but under one circumstance, we get to throw these cupcakes at you. And because we just wanted to get rid of the product and that's when we were like, we need to just sell it. So we gave them the cupcakes and they were throwing the cupcakes at us. We didn't think that they were literally going to do it, right? Because we're like, oh, maybe they're just joking around. Maybe they're just drunk. But that was like probably the lowest point in terms of owning um, any company for that matter. And that was a good, experience in terms of just the grit that you need to have as a business owner you may think there's a lot of glitz and glamour there's but there's a lot of heartache mm -hmm. and fight in between too to kind mm -hmm. of get to that place at that moment ace knew he needed to bring on partners and couldn't keep managing the operations of the business himself he brought on a chef and a managing partner which helped but it still took spot three years to get out of its initial slump their big break came when Spot was serendipitously featured in the news. Lauren Glassenberry from Channel 7 Eyewitness News did a little thing. They emailed us, and that's why life is always about just sometimes unknown circumstances. That Eyewitness News segment changed the way that we look at Spot today for the first three years. Nobody really knew our products. We were in the basement. Everyone's like complaining. It's not even eye level. But once we got on Channel 7 Eyewitness News and I had Mark come on board and I had Chef Ian come on board. So I'm at work. I'm at the bank. They call me. They're like, Ace, you have no idea. There's like a line around the block. I'm like, where? At um, Tai Show? <laughs> Which is a restaurant right next door, right? No. They're like, at Spot. I'm like why right because we're so used to it not being busy so like why why is there a lie they're like i don't know for some reason you know we were on that show with lauren glassenberry um, they do highlights on restaurants and everybody's here so i'm like oh my goodness do we have enough desserts they're like no we just ran out that's why we're calling you what should we do right i'm like we'll make more blah blah, blah right so in any case but that just goes to show you that sometimes if you just continue you know Opportunities seemingly arise to people that folks think are lucky. Mm. But I wanted to tell folks that it does take luck, 
but you have to be in the right position and you have to stick to your gut in terms of what's right and what's wrong. So we felt like we had something special here and we never wanted to give up. I see parallels between Spot and your tryouts for basketball, yeah. right? Like the first year, mm -hmm. you didn't even make it to the tryouts. Yeah. The second year, you made it to yeah. the tryouts and you yeah. got really far. Ace's story has come full circle. Today, Ace's mission is to use the platform he's built from Spot and Obau to give back to the community. He's developing talent at Spot, giving its workers the chance to become leaders and active members of the community. We want to be able to create a company that we're developing not only leaders within SPOT, but then we also really encourage for them to be participating in their communities. Yeah, yeah. Because we feel great. that that's important. I mean, I think it's amazing because too often we hear that for Asian Americans, mm -hmm. you end up doing a lot of the analytical stuff yeah. and you end up doing a lot of the back uh, office, the back office work. <laughs> put your head down and work mm -hmm. hard. And the fact that you're training people into leadership roles is phenomenal. I think being Asian American, sometimes you know the answer, but you're just too shy mm -hmm. or you don't want to participate because you feel like you want to be respectful of your peers, right? Growing mm -hmm. up in an Asian household, you know, my parents really taught, and it's been great you know, to respect your elders and not talk back. Mm -hmm. But sometimes in a leadership role, you need to speak up. Yeah. So as an introvert growing up, I never really got into, I really never understood that being a manager, you don't need to be rude, but you need to speak up. You need to voice your opinion. You need to be influential. Being able to have and, and giving them the ability to express their opinion without feeling like they're judged yeah. or you yeah. know, or whatnot and just building a platform for them. So in wrapping up, yeah. we always ask our guests one okay. last question, okay. which is what does rocking the boat mean to you? I think just being different, right? Not, not going that straight line and I'm not saying go rogue or, you know, be a um, cowboy or anything like that. But um, I think you need to do things different, be different and continue to really inspire others. I think in life, you have one life to live. And it's like that saying, you know, you, you want to be the best version of yourself. And in order to be the best version of yourself, sometimes you have to put yourself in uncomfortable positions. So the more you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, the more you rock the boat, the more you'll learn. Thank you, Ace, for showing us the value of grit and perseverance. When I was interviewing Ace, there were so many points in Ace's story where I felt like personally I would have given up. This just goes to show that when there's a will, there's a way. So the willpower that it takes to endure such a difficult situation makes me feel like Ace really has so much grit and so much willpower to push forward despite all of these setbacks. Looking at Ace, I can't help but question some of my personal choices. You know, for example, if I hadn't left my first job, where would I be? If I kept my chocolate business, what would that have looked like? And maybe down the road, it's something I want to go and revisit. But Ace's story really gives me hope. It's a story where the main takeaway seems to be that if you make bold choices, stick with them, and see them through, despite the tough times, you'll eventually come out the other end, victorious. 
This season of Rock the Boat is brought to you by our seasonal sponsor, Numa Foods. Numa Foods makes good-for-you, chewy milk-based candies. The recipe is inspired by Asian nougat candies, and it boasts 40% less sugar, 4 grams of protein, and a whole host of vitamins. The milk chews come in three different flavors, original, chocolate, and strawberry. That's N-U-M-A-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Numa Foods is offering Rock the Boat listeners a free bag of milk chews. Just pay for shipping. Use code ROCKTHEBOAT, that's one word, ROCKTHEBOAT, to redeem. Thanks for tuning in to Rock the Boat. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes and help spread the word about the podcast. We really appreciate your help. Thanks to our writer, Jasper Chen, for writing this episode. Kessel Lim is our assistant producer, Debbie Wong and Kim Hernandez are our social media coordinators, and Rachel Chu is our sound editor. Be sure to follow us on social media at Rock the Boat NYC.